when you came in, you got a little card. I keep not, not bringing one with me. It's right here. Thank you, love. How many, when you came in at or near or around your seat, you had one of these? You see one of these? Uh, this, the, the intention of this card is for you to take this with you today. Uh, everybody look on the front. What does it say? That's pretty bad. Let's try it again. Okay, and on the back it says, because he is risen, and then you can finish the sentence. And my original thought was that uh, that's really going to be the focus of the message today is, is the, the, the consequence, the powerful effect, the consequence of Christ's resurrection. And I thought what I'd like you to be able to do is, is take this card with you and, and fill in the blank with what, whatever it is that's on your heart or in your life today, your concern, your question, your need, your opportunity, because, that whatever it is, that because he is risen, there's more than enough. He is, you know, whether, and, and you'll hear some of the ways you might be able to answer this question uh, in, in the message this morning. But I also thought, it came to me last night, even as I saw that, I thought, you know what? Some of you might not want to write something in there because the truth is, you could just leave that blank. Because anything that you face in the days ahead could go right there. And you might just need, to re- you might just need a reminder that because he has risen, all things are possible. Because he has risen, nothing shall be impossible. That God is good right now. Let's try this together. Everybody say that I'm going to say he is risen. And, then you, and if you know the next part, you say it. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Very good. And then we all say. Hallelujah. All right, let's try it. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Our, our, uh, we're going to look this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 at what Paul talks about. The powerful consequences because he is risen. Because he is risen, our message matters. Because he is risen, our faith is real. Because he is risen, our sins are forgiven. Because he is risen, our death is not final. Because he is risen, our hope is eternal. And because he is risen, you're fine, you're great, you got to do your thing. Because he is risen, listen to this, we should live confidently for Jesus with everything we've got. This is what we'll see in the passage that we'll read this morning, beginning with verses 1 and 2 of 1 Corinthians 15. Here's what Paul says. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. How many have taken your stand on the gospel? By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Paul says, by this gospel you are saved. The grammar there should really read like this. By this gospel you are being saved. You are being saved. The gospel is not just something that happens to you. It's, it's It's not really, salvation isn't necessarily a process so much as it is a power at work in your life. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, there is a moment, there is a reality, there is an encounter, there is a transaction that occurs where your sins are forgiven, where you are cleansed, where your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Anybody here glad your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? 
But that same power that canceled your sin and sealed you for salvation by the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, day to day, forming us, shaping us into the image of Christ, working all things for good, according to Romans 8. But that same power isn't done yet. There will come a day when that same power will quicken us, and we will be raised from the dead, and we will stand before the Lord, and we will be with him forever. By the gospel, we are being saved. Somebody say being saved. Good stuff. If we hold firmly to it, Paul wants us to know that we, the gospel is not something that we modify. If we modify the gospel, we can risk nullifying the gospel. We have to cling tightly to what it is we have heard, what it is we have believed. And then Paul reminds us, what is it that we have heard? What do we believe? It's in, we begin with verse 3 of chapter 15. For Paul says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas. Paul consistently calls Peter Cephas. Then to the twelve, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. At the time that he's writing this letter, most of those people were still living, although some had fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, he appeared to me also, Paul says, as to one abnormally born. Here it is. These are the things of first importance. This is the gospel that saves us. Are you ready? If we, in other words, these are of the first importance. If we get these wrong, we'll risk not getting much else right. Here it is. First importance. Number one, Jesus Christ died for your sins. How many know that? Jesus Christ died for our sins. Christmas began with the promise that we should name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And Easter fulfills that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, that by his blood we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Your sins are, listen, don't get offended. We know this if you're part of this house. Let me finish this sentence before you get offended and run out the door. You are not forgiven. The room fills with offense. You don't want to be forgiven. To forgive means to be cut off, sent away, forgotten about. The Bible says that our sins are forgiven. Your sins are separated from you as far as the east is from the west. That's not just, that's not just euphemistic language. You know, in, on the globe, you can go north, and if you go north, eventually you go south. If you go north long enough, you start going south. But if you go east, you'll never go west. You go east, you just keep going east in the globe. It doesn't change direction. And that's the deal. Your sins are separated from you as far as the east is from the west. All your sins have been forgiven. Jesus Christ died for our sins, and he was buried. Somebody say buried. This is important. We believe he was buried. We believe there's an actual tomb, an actual place. Now people put landscapes and markers on it, and people stand before they say, here's the tomb. Maybe it was. We don't know. But we know there was an actual historical tomb. That he did not just come down from the cross. They kept telling him, come down from the cross. He didn't. He didn't just come down from the cross and shake it off and get a a fresh breath. He wasn't just resuscitated after torture. He was dead. And he was buried immediately according to Jewish custom. And his tomb was sealed according to Roman law. He was buried. And he was raised he was raised. Listen to this. We believe the part, the fundamental, the first importance of our faith is that Jesus Christ was raised. If, listen, our faith is a miracle faith. 
It's, it's silly for any Christian to say, well, I don't, know, I don't know if I believe in miracles. You might wonder if you're a Christian. Because our, our whole faith is a miracle faith. Our whole, everything we believe depends on a dead man being raised to life. Our, our, our faith is faith in the power of God accomplishing the purposes of God. And that same faith is alive in your life today. The power of God is at work to accomplish the purposes of God. A risen Christ is the proof that he is the Son of God, that his death was not his, but ours. And if his death was ours, so is his life. And we believe that he appeared. Somebody say he appeared. Doctrinally, we just know that, they, that there was witnesses. It's not just a story. It's not an invention. But the fact that we have these names and the people that he appeared to, we need to pause for a moment and consider that time and again, the New Testament says that after his resurrection, Jesus specifically appears to Peter. He, to Peter. People who have failed have a special place with Jesus. Peter denied the Lord. Denied the Lord three times. Denied the Lord out loud. Denied the Lord calling down curses. And when Jesus meets with Peter, he doesn't even bring up Peter's failure. He doesn't, when, when Peter meets with Jesus, he doesn't ask Peter why he denied him. What he asks is if Peter loves him. He doesn't need Peter's regret. He just wants his devotion. And friends, he doesn't need your regret. You don't need to be carrying that thing in a backpack around your life, thinking that the only way that Jesus is going to love you is if you express enough regret for all that you've done. Yeah, we repent. We repent. We say, Lord, I'm sorry. I confess my sins. I turn away from it. But you don't care. He doesn't want your regret. He wants your devotion. Wonderful Jesus. He appears to the 12. He appears to the 500. He appears to James. James is another one that sticks out to me. James is a brother of Jesus, half-brother, if you want to be technical. He's a brother of Jesus. And the Bible says that, before, uh, that the whole ministry of Jesus, James is one of the parts of the family that they, they don't even really believe in Jesus. They don't believe. I mean, they know he's real, but he's their brother. As in fact, one passage in the gospel suggests that some of his brothers thought Jesus was a little out of his mind particularly because of all the crowds and all of the activity, not because of his claims, but there was no allegiance. He wasn't one of the 12. He wasn't, he wasn't even one of the larger community of disciples. So before the resurrection of Jesus, James was familiar with who he was. But, but being confronted with the resurrection transformed who James thought Jesus was. You might be familiar with Jesus. You might have heard about him, but we're here to tell you this. If you'll, when you take a long look at an empty tomb, it'll transform the way you think about Jesus. He appears to Paul. He says, he appears to me. He, there's, there's, so history will tell us of a man named Saul of Tarsus who was a radical Pharisee, who was a, who was a leader in the Jewish community. This is a matter of, of historical record. That, that he persecuted this new sect, this religious sect that came out of Jerusalem, and he persecuted them ferociously. But there is absolutely no logical historical reason for Saul of Tarsus to become the man Paul the Apostle. 
Something miraculous had to happen. And the Bible tells us he met the resurrected Lord. When we meet Jesus, how many of you in this room, you don't have to answer out loud, just lift your hand. How many in this room, you have met Jesus and who you were before has been totally different than who you are now? Paul asks this rhetorical question. He engages in a little bit of rhetoric to emphasize the importance of the resurrection here. And so he's in verses 14 through 19, Paul says, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. Verse 16, or verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. In this rhetorical way that Paul's saying, look, consider, the, consider if he's not raised, consider, consider how devastating it would be. We should hear that and be radically encouraged at just how powerful and encouraging it is that he has been risen. If Paul says, if Christ is not risen and our preaching is useless, it means our, he, he's saying, hey, if Christ is not risen, our message wouldn't matter. We have no message worth hearing. Our message would be no different than anything else out there. But because he is risen, here's the bold claim. Our message is the only message that matters. And if Christ is not risen, he said, your faith is useless. It'll do you no good to believe that Jesus was just a good man. It'll do you no good to believe he was just a good teacher. It'll do you no good that a, to believe that a good man died. It'll do you, the only good that'll ever come is, is when you know that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. Because he is risen, your faith rests on an unshakable fact and an immeasurable eternal power. Paul says, if Christ is not risen, your sins remain. Without the resurrection, sin would still have power over you and penalty toward you. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ assures us without question that the, that that Jesus did, in fact, pay it all. If you ever have question, if you ever wonder whether what Jesus did was enough to cover your guilt or your shame or your past or your brokenness, know this, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's signature that it is finished. The victory is won. Your sins have been forgiven. He took your sins and all the record that was written against you and he took it and the Bible says he wiped it out. He destroyed it by nailing it to the cross. Every record against your life, all the receipt of our wrongdoing has been nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. We know this because of the resurrection. Finally, if Christ is not raised, then death, our death, is final. Paul says in verse 6 and verse 18, he said, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Fallen asleep. Somebody say fallen asleep. Fallen asleep is the new, one of the New Testament's major ways of describing death. But the New Testament writers, including the words of Jesus himself, when he goes and meets with Jairus' daughter, and he says, hey, she is not dead, but she is asleep she is sleeping jesus is not trying to be careful or sentimental or delicate about the severity of death the new testament writers aren't trying to use new language to avoid the severity of death they're talking about death in the way that we understand it through the lens of jesus christ that death is temporary that is that they literally calling it falling asleep because if you fall asleep that means one thing you are getting ready to be waked up because of Jesus Christ, our death is not final. 
because he rose from the dead, so shall we. If he walked out of that grave, somebody help me preach this thing. If he walked out of that grave, because ain't no grave going to hold my body down. If he walked out of that grave, I'm walking too. How do I know? Because he rose from the dead. And he, and he said, I'm coming back. If he said he would come back from the dead, then he's going to come back from heaven. He's going to return, and we will join him. Paul said there will come a day when the trump of God will sound, and there will shout of an archangel, and the Lord Jesus will descend from heaven. And, the, and those who have fallen asleep, those who are dead in Christ will rise first and then those of us who remain will meet them in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord because he is risen we know that not only is our death not final but friends we have such a measurable comfort that those that we have lost we have not lost forever come on somebody those that we have lost we have not lost forever Therefore, we are able to grieve, but we do not grieve as those without hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is risen. Paul says, finally, if Christ is not risen, then even our hope is temporary. Why? Paul says, if we have hope only for this world, we are to be of all people most pitied. Because primarily, our faith, Christianity, is a faith in the power and the hope of the age to come. We are not attached to nor do we live for this world, but for the world to come. And we are and, and the strength or the leverage, the foundation of that hope is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we abandon this world or we live carelessly or recklessly or vainly in this world. No, quite the opposite. Because we're living for the age to come, it infuses us with a sense of greater purpose and meaning and destiny in every moment and every day of this life. We live this life for the honor of Christ. And we await in the next life the reward of Christ. Because he is risen, we have an irrepressible eternal hope because he is risen verse 20 says this but christ has indeed been raised from the dead he is risen, he is risen indeed. oh one more time he is risen, he is risen indeed. the gospel tells us that he is risen we know that he have we heard the, the the testimony from the women at the grave as we open service we listened to paul make a list of the of those first witnesses we know two thousand years of testimony of people who have met Jesus have named Jesus have died for Jesus have lived for Jesus and we know this Peter says in Acts chapter 5 he says we are witnesses of all these things and so is the Holy Spirit that God the Holy Spirit continues to testify to this day in our hearts through our lives to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that's why it's imperative that we keep opening our lives to the infilling and the influence and the, and the power of the Spirit because he testifies. But Peter said, therefore, let all Israel, because of the outpouring of those words, he said, let all Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus Lord and Christ. He is risen. Because he is risen, our faith matters. Because he is risen, our message matters, our faith is real. Because he is risen, 
our sins are forgiven. Because he is risen, our death is not final. Because he is risen, our hope is eternal. This might be a time for you to just take out this card and begin thinking, what are you going to do with this card today? What will you do? What will you do with the confession that he is risen? Paul has a challenge for us at the end of chapter 15. Chapter, verse 58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, therefore what? Because he, is, because he is risen, because he's returning. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Friends, our remembrance of the resurrection does not allow us to be content to look backwards. We haven't gathered here today just to look backwards and say, oh, man, that was great. Y'all remember when Jesus rose from the dead? That was awesome. (laughs) We do not just live in the past. The resurrection of Jesus Christ causes us to live firmly in the now with a fixed gaze toward the future. When it comes to now, Paul says, stand firm. Let nothing move you. The storms will come, the wind will blow, adversity may come, persecution, challenge, mockery, all the things. But you don't budge. You don't quit. Hold firmly to your confidence in the Lord Jesus. Friends, there is nothing that can happen to you that is greater than what Christ has done for you. There is nothing that you will endure or that you will experience that will be greater than what Christ has promised you. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Be strong. Never quit. And moving forward, he says this, always, somebody said always. Always "Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord is anything we do in the name of Jesus for the name of Jesus. Romans chapter 12, verse 11 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Friends, here's the truth. The resurrection of Jesus Christ does not allow us to live our faith with apathy, ambivalence. It calls us to live zealously, enthusiastically for the Lord. Do everything in His name for his name and do it with everything you've got here's what we know paul says because our labor in the lord is not in vain our labor for the lord is not in vain friends there is an end to this journey we are all headed somewhere If we have faith in Jesus Christ, we are following Jesus today, and there is a finish line here. And that means every step in this race matters. Every step, be it short steps, long steps, they all matter. Every prayer, every prayer meeting, every act of obedience, every time you serve somebody else, anything you're doing in the name of Jesus, you may have done it for years and years. You may wonder if it's doing any good. You can know for certain that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, everything you do matters. Nothing you do for the Lord is in vain. It doesn't matter if you get applause or you or nobody knows it. It doesn't matter if all if everybody sees or nobody sees. The Lord 
knows, the Lord records, the Lord remembers, and your life matters. There are two things, two things that are primarily affected by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to boil it down. Two things. Only two. Your next breath and your last breath. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can breathe your next breath with a sense of confidence, of purpose, of meaning, of value, calling. Your next breath. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can take your last breath your sins are forgiven and your death is not final all because he is risen can we say it one more time he is risen he is risen indeed let's try it one more time he is risen he is risen indeed can we stand together and just give the Lord thanks can we give the Lord thanks together someone to pray with you in response to the resurrection of Jesus Christ if you want someone to pray with you you feel like you don't know if you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior but you'd like someone to pray with you and lead you into a relationship with Jesus we have those who want to meet you down here at the front we'll be glad to take time pray with you help you understand how to become a follower of Jesus for the rest of you God bless you happy resurrection morning take some more time in the cafe be kind to someone on your way out meet a new friend hang out with an old one God bless you. Happy Easter.